First Kings 19, the word of the Lord is see it before you see it. See it before you see it. If you're taking notes, note takers are history makers. And when I take notes, I always write down the title because it always helps me remember what this message was about. See it before you see it. Oftentimes throughout the Bible, God would challenge people to see something on the inside before they saw it on the outside. To see in yourself who God saw you to become before you can see it out here in the natural. To see in others who they can become before they've reached their potential yet. And to see situations turn around on the inside before you see them turn around on the outside. This is the story of Elijah passing the baton off to Elisha. We're going to look at three moments of Elisha's life and how he practiced the power of seeing something before he saw it. In 1 Kings 19, verse 19, Elijah was leaving the cave of depression. He had been battling suicidal thoughts, depression, fear. By the way, you can have Jesus in your heart and Jezebel in your head. You can follow after God and still be dealing with thoughts that aren't from God. You're not, you didn't lose your salvation. Maybe you lost your sanity a little bit, but we got to get Jezebel out. Everybody say, get Jezebel out. So Elijah had been battling with Jezebel type of thoughts in his head, thoughts of fear, intimidation, manipulation, um, just feeling, feeling like giving up, feeling like he was just done with this ministry. God talks him back into going into his purpose, getting those thoughts out of his head, moving back into the ministry. So he goes from that cave with the word from God to go and anoint the next prophet of Israel. God has spoken to Elijah. There is another prophet that I want you to call into ministry. He doesn't know it yet. He hasn't heard from me yet, but you're going to go and invite him into his purpose. So Elijah starts going in the direction where this guy lives, and he finds this young man named Elisha, pretty close to Elijah. (laughs) And Elisha is the son of Shaphat, who was a very wealthy farmer, and Elisha worked in the family business. He uh, worked for his mom and dad. They owned a lot of cattle, a lot of oxen. They owned a lot of acres of land, and they were farmers. They had enough money to do whatever he wanted to do and be comfortable and be fine. So he's outside. He's working for his dad's farm. He's plowing the oxen, and here he is outside, and Elijah is passing by. Now, I need you to see this example. Pastor Ty, will you stand up? You're going to be the part of Elijah. Luis, you're Elisha. Just stay right there. Luis is so sweet. He just looked at me, and he just goes, okay. (laughs) <laughs> you don't think I saw you roll your eyes. I love Luis. He's, he's, he's always in my illustrations. He knows I'm going to call on him. He's game for it, right? You're g- <laughs> okay. You, this is why people are scared to sit on the front row with me. They're like, he's going to use me. He's going to pull me in a weird illustration. It's going to be on YouTube. I don't know what to do. Okay. Um, would you take off your suit coat jacket? It's so nice. Okay. Um, this is what Elijah was doing. He's passing by. Now, he knows he's not going to stop and talk. He knows if Elisha is the right guy, he's going to be able to sense what I'm doing here. If If Elisha knows what's in front of him and he feels it, then when I pass by him, he's going to catch hold of what I'm going to throw. Opportunities pass people by every single day, but not everybody seizes those opportunities. Not everybody takes hold of those opportunities. Oral Roberts said, I was the fourth guy that God asked to build a university. 
that would send people out to change the world filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, I was the fourth guy. I wasn't the first guy. I was just the first guy to say yes. He said, God talked to three other people, and I knew it because other people came to me and said, God told me to do exactly what you're doing, and I disobeyed. I ignored it because it was too scary. I didn't think the banks would ever lend me any type of loan, and I never acted on what the Lord was doing in my heart. I never grabbed hold of it. So Elijah is walking by with an opportunity, and I just feel like I'm speaking to someone right now that opportunity is going to pass by you in the next week. I remember when I was a little boy, my dad used to tell this story, how he was sitting in a room with other pastors when Lester Sumrall, a man he really looked up to, a famous preacher at that time in the 80s, began talking about his desire to go into Russia and bring the gospel. And he said, when I heard Lester say those words, I'm going to go to Russia when the communism wall falls and I'm going to bring the gospel. He said, I felt like opportunity was passing me by. And I grabbed hold of it. And he said, I grabbed Lester's jacket and said, I want to go too. I got to go to Russia. He said, that's when I signed our church up in 1991 to go to Russia every month. A million people gave their hearts to Jesus in St. Petersburg, Russia, because he was ready for the opportunity. Everybody said, get ready. So Elijah passes by and he throws the mantle and Elisha catches it. Now, Elisha has an option here. Once he catches it, <laughs> once he catches it, he can roll his eyes and go, no thanks. You just keep your ministry to yourself. Give it to somebody else. It's too painful. I've been through church hurt. I don't want to do this again. I don't want to deal with the pain of following a prophet who's been depressed and suicidal. Let's just be honest. Elijah was not an easy guy to follow. He's like, I also don't think I can even fill your shoes because the world knows you're the rainmaker. You're the guy that called fire down from heaven, turned on the rain. Don't you dare try to invite me to follow after you. But Elisha saw something in himself. When Elijah saw in Elisha what God saw in Elisha, something about Elijah's ability to see something before it was there grabbed hold of Elisha, and it's like Elisha was saying, if you see it in me, then I'll see it in me too. And he took hold of the mantle. And I want to just take a minute to talk about what do you see in other people around you? What do you see? Oftentimes, we see the worst in people. Oftentimes, we see them for who they are right now, and we think that's who they're always going to be. But I believe that God is calling some more Elijahs to see the Elishas all around you that aren't there yet, to call out the potential inside of the people around you. Notice that God does not pick the next prophet who's sitting on the couch, just like vegging out on, on uh, not vegging out, just eating like potato chips, being lazy, doing nothing. God picks a guy who's already being faithful in his current field. He picks a guy who's already plowing. He picks a guy who's already working. He's not complaining. He's not remaining. He's not blaming his parents for his lack of opportunities. He's not angry at the system. He's not frustrated. No, no, no. God finds a guy who's already being faithful plowing in the field right now. If you'll be found faithful in your current field, opportunity will find you there. 
God will send more opportunity. When I am faithful with the little, God makes me ruler over much. But I can't complain if I'm not getting enough opportunities when I'm not plowing in my current field. Make the most of the field you're in. When Elijah saw him plowing, Elijah saw what God saw. He saw potential. Potential is something that hasn't happened yet, but it can happen. And a lot of people live with potential and never tap into it. They never tap into the potential of what's possible. My dad used to walk down the halls of Victor Christian School, and he would say, hey, you mighty man of God. Hey, you mighty woman of God. Woo, God's anointing is on you. You're going to do great things. And I'd be like, Dad, that girl's not a mighty woman of God. She's sleeping with people, doing drugs. That dude over there, not a mighty man of God. He's addicted to stuff. Like, he's not a good guy. He's a bully. And my dad goes, well, you see who he is right now, but I see who he can become. And I don't call people by who they are right now. I call people by who God's made them to be. Thank God for Billy Joe Darty seeing this room before he ever saw it physically. He saw it in his spirit. Thank God for my dad seeing something in me before I could see it in myself. Seeing something in Ty Barker before he could see it. Seeing something in many of you And I think God's wanting to raise up another generation of seers, prophets, who can look at the next generation and say, I see a generation rising up to take their place. I see revival. I see that middle school boy going on to do something powerful for God. Paul, you don't know what he's into right now. It's really weird, crazy stuff. No, I see a mighty man of God. I see a child of the Most High King, and I'm not going to let the devil talk me out of the purpose and the potential and the destiny that's on that kid's life. We got to see it before we see it. There was a, um, an interview that happened with a world-famous tennis coach named Harry Hopman, and he built one of the most famous tennis teams in Australia that dominated internationally all the, the tennis games back in the 70s and 80s. And they interviewed him. They said, how did you build such a powerful team of world champion tennis players? He said, I call it coaching by affirmation. He said, I was coaching guys who weren't that great. He said, I had one guy, for example, that was really slow, but I called him Rocket. Rod the Rocket Laver. And he said, I would just call him Rocket every single day. Come on, Rocket. He said, here's what happened with Rod the Rocket. He began to rise to the reputation that I gave him to uphold. Give people a reputation to uphold. Give them a new nickname. Give them a new, this is what Jesus did. He looked at Simon, the cussing fisherman, and said, I call you Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And Peter, you might be a a bad dude right now in the eyes of a lot of people, but you're gonna be the first preacher on Pentecost who leads thousands of people to Jesus. And then he looks at Matthew, the tax-collecting cheater. He says, Matthew, you're going to come follow after me, and you're going to lead so many people to the Lord. And people are going, why did Jesus pick so many bad dudes with bad past? Because he saw their potential. God looked at a man who said, I can't have any kids. You blessed me with all this money, but I have no one to give my inheritance to. He said, my name is Abram. And God says, no, I call you Abraham from now on. You're the father of many nations. God saw something in Abram that Abram never saw in himself. Elijah saw something in Elisha that Elisha had not seen yet. 
Winston Churchill did this during World War II. He, um, he got up in front of Great Britain right after they had suffered the defeat at the Battle of Dunkirk. And he begins to speak on this speaker. We shall not flag nor fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France on the seas and on the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on beaches, landing grounds, and fields and streets, on the hills. We shall never surrender. And Great Britain heard that speech after they were so defeated and discouraged and they felt so small in the eyes of Hitler's massive Nazi army. And yet, Winston Churchill gave them hope to believe that they had a a chance to fight back. And they rose to the occasion. They got back up, and they began to fight with confidence. Why? Because they believed in the words that Winston Churchill spoke over their nation. What if we begin to speak a better word over America? What if we begin to speak a better word over the church? What if we begin to speak a prophetic word over the next generation? Harvard Law School and Harvard Business School, they were studying the effects of how people perform at different companies and schools, and they, they came to this conclusion. They said people perform consistently as they perceive you expect them to perform. So if you go, I'm not going to expect much from this kid. I don't expect much from this girl over here. And if we call them names and label them certain ways, they will stay under the lid of what you say. But if you lift the lid off and where a kid has been called a a bad case or just a impossible child, If you'll lift that lid, that label off, and begin to prophesy over that son, over that daughter, I see a mighty man of God. I see a brilliant genius. I see see the next Albert Einstein coming up. We need to begin to see what God sees over the next generation. In order to do this, number one, we got to believe in people. This is really what God asks us to do because God believes in you. And if God believes in someone like you, then maybe you should believe in someone else. Believe in people. Secondly, look past their past. Look past their past. This is what Jesus did. He invited people into a future that was greater than their past. This is what Elijah was doing with Elisha. He was saying, your future is more important than your past. Look past their past. Thirdly, speak to their future potential. Last night, I was walking the hallway after our church service and young boy named Denzel came up to me, gave me a big hug, Pastor Paul. I almost got tears in my eyes because he just lost his dad three weeks ago to a tragic accident. He's 12 years old. I said, Denzel, how are you doing? He said, I'm good when I'm at victory. I love this church. I love being here. He's just smiling, wearing his best day's hoodie. And I just gave him a big hug, and I just said, Denzel, God's hand is on you. You're going to do great things. He's just looking at me, smiling, okay. You're going to do amazing things. This is what we need to speak to over our children, over the next generation, over your husband, over your wife, over your dad, over your mom. What if we begin to change the words that have been coming out of our mouth and begin to speak like the prophets that God's not finished with you yet? Give people a nickname to live up to. Give people a nickname that speaks to their future. Give people, see in your spouse what God sees in them. See who they can become. See in your children what God sees in them. If you're a single, see over your future what God sees over your future. 
that God's lining things up. Begin to just see it on the inside and then speak it out. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, Paul the apostle who was once a terrorist in the church, who was transformed to become one of the greatest pastors and preachers in the church, he wrote these words. He says, so we have stopped regarding people according to a human point of view. Let's talk about your POV for a second. What is your POV? What is your point of view of people? Well, Paul, I've just, I've heard things. I've seen things. I know things. What if we changed our human point of view towards one another and said, God, lift me out of the fog of the earthly point of view about everybody around me and help me to set my mind on things above so that I can see a heavenly point of view. You need an HPOV, a heavenly point of view over yourself and over the people around you to see what God sees. God sees greater things in your future. God sees greater things in your spouse. God sees greater things over the people around you, but you got to see it before you see it. Everybody say, see it before you see it. So when Elisha catches the mantle, he responds to Elijah, and he runs after it. Look at that first verse. In verse 20, he says, it says he ran. Everybody say, get ready to run. He ran after Elijah. In other words, he knew his future was too urgent for him to drag his feet. He knew the future that was calling him was, was calling him not to just walk towards it, but to run towards it. This is a time to run towards your future. But as he's running towards his future, he looks back and says, hold on. I need to go and kiss my mom and dad, and then I'll follow after you. And Elijah says, go back, for what have I done to you? In other words, I'm challenging you to do something that's going to be costly. This is going to cost you something. This is going to cost you, and it's not going to be easy. It's going to be uncomfortable. You've been, you've been under your family's farm for a long time. You've had money. You're about to follow a poor prophet, not for profit. You're about to follow, you're about to follow a depressed prophet. I'm a moody prophet. And, and Elijah's thinking through, I don't think you're ready for this because it's not going to be easy. I think sometimes when we start following Jesus, we're expecting everything to be perfect. We're committed to him as long as the benefits are good. But are you willing to follow Jesus even if it costs you something? Salvation is free, but following Jesus will cost you something. Everybody can receive salvation. You don't have to pay for it. Jesus paid it all. But once you start obeying God, it could cost you your popularity. It could cost you some of your family relationships. It could cost you some of your friendships. It could cost you some of your reputation points in the eyes of other people. But I would rather follow God in obedience and lose something here on earth than gain the whole world and lose my soul. So here Elisha is counting the cost, and this is where he decides. I was reading this article by a professor who said, there's a generation around us right now, he said, particularly millennials, who have two contradictory desires. They have the desire to see just amazing fruit in their life, to see amazing results in their life, to see God do incredible things in and through their life. But they also, at the same time, have this desire to not be held down by anything. They want to keep their options open at all times. And any choice that buckles them down and makes them plant their feet is a little too much for them. And he says, what happens is you can't have both. You can't keep all your options open and see great 
fruit in your life. At some point, you have to burn the options up and say, I'm going all in with what God's called me to do. I'm selling out to what God's calling me to do. So this is what Elisha does. He turns back from Elijah, takes the yoke of oxen, and he slaughters them. I thought about making this an illustrated sermon, but it would get really bloody. He slaughters them, and then he begins to boil their flesh. Using the oxen's equipment, he lights the match, sets it on fire. Then he gives each person a little pokey thing to to grill some barbecue. Everybody eats. He has a whole barbecue. And then he gets up and he says, I'm ready to follow you. And he became his servant. He was going all in for the future that God was calling him into. It's time to go all in to your future instead of obsessing over your past. You can't grab a hold of your destiny if you're still flirting with your history. You can't grab a hold of the destiny God's calling. Future is knocking on the door. But the past will always want to hold you back. And sometimes it's the past shame, regret. Sometimes it's romanticizing the past. Like, oh, I just missed these days. I missed the glory days. I miss how things were once, how it used to be. But Elisha was ready to step into his future. And yet when he stepped into his future, it says he became his servant. Elisha had an expectation he was going to be the next prophet of Israel, but it would be 10 years of serving under a pretty moody prophet named Elijah, that Elisha would 10 years, if serving is beneath you, then leading is above you. If you're too big to serve, then you're too small to lead. There's a lot of people who want to become something great, but they're not willing to serve another prophet. They're not willing to serve another person. They go, I ain't, I'm not going to serve. I came to be served, not to serve. Well, that sounds like the opposite of what Jesus came to do. Jesus said, I came to serve, not be served. Anyone who wants to go higher has to go lower. Anyone who wants to be greater has to become less. So Elisha signs up for a 10-year internship as a servant leader. What do you do when your expectation does not even come close to the reality of where you're at. When you were expecting powerful prophetic ministry, and yet here you are cleaning Elijah's toilets, sweeping Elijah's house, following Elijah as he does the powerful miracles, and you just carry the Bible for him. What do you do when you're living in the gap of expectation and reality? Number one, give your best wherever God puts you. We are not working for men, we are working for God. Colossians 3 says, everything we do, we do for the undercover boss. God himself is always at our workplace watching when we clock in and how we treat other coworkers and what we say about the boss when he's not around because we're working for a higher boss. Give your best wherever God has you. Whether Whether you're selling pizzas at Little Caesars, I was there this past week. That's why I have that example. I got some crazy bread. And by the way, I invited the people there to Victory Church. Everybody, everybody needs an invite to Victory. Whether you're selling pizzas at Little Caesars or whether you're a coffee barista at the local coffee shop or whether you're the car mechanic or whether you're a teacher or a coach or a principal or whether you are a, a student in school, give your best wherever God has you. Don't wait for a future salary or title or position to start giving your best passion, your best creativity, your best energy. Secondly, focus more on God's purpose than your position. 
while you're in the middle of expectations and yet reality, give, focus more on your purpose than your position. Focus more on my purpose is to be a light and I can do that wherever I am, however much I make and whatever season I'm in, whoever I'm surrounded by. My purpose is not contained by a position or a title. I can be a servant leader wherever I'm at. I can make an impact. I can invite people to victory. I can pray on the workplace. I can minister wherever God has me. My my purpose will outlast every position I'm in. I will never be without a job if I focus on my purpose more than my position. I'll always have a job. Thirdly, help another leader fulfill their vision while you're waiting to fulfill yours. Help another leader. You never waste time serving others. We never waste time. You never lose when you help other people win. So here Elisha is, and 10 years goes by as he's helping someone else win. Did he waste his time? Did your grandmother waste her time when she was helping serve at the church praying? No, because you're the fruit of her prayers. Has Grand Grand wasted her time serving for 42 years in this church, ministering to people, never on the stage, always behind the scenes? No, because there's thousands of people in heaven today because of Grand Grand's behind the scene faithfulness. Serve, you never waste time serving. You never waste time serving. You don't waste your life serving. Someday we're going to show up to your funeral or you'll show up to mine or we'll show up to each other's. I don't know how it's going to happen. You're like, I don't think that can happen, bro. Okay, the point is this. At our funeral, they're not going to remember every sermon that I preached. They're not going to remember all the highlights. They're going to remember how you lived your life. And you never waste your life serving another man, serving another person, helping a child, giving a cup of water to someone who needs a drink, opening the door for the next generation. We never lose. So Elisha does this for 10 years, and now we're going to go to the second scene scene in Elisha's life, 2 Kings chapter 2. Now it's time for him to step into his ministry. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, Elijah is on his way out. A whirlwind is coming to pick him up. He is going out on a horse of chariots with fire. That's how Elijah's going. I want to go out that way. I want to go out in style like Elijah. So, So God tells Elijah, today's your day. You're headed out of earth. And it's time to get ready. And I'll spare you seven verses. Basically, there's some prophets who tell Elisha, your master, your teacher, your pastor is done. You might as well leave him right now. And Elisha says, I'm not leaving until I see with my own eyes that he's headed into glory. In other words, Elisha said, I'm with him till his last breath on earth. That's how loyal Elisha was. That's how committed and connected he was. So he follows him. In verse 7, they come to this Jordan River spot, and the 50 prophets are watching at a distance. These are the guys who've been trying to talk Elisha out of his future. There's always going to be people who watch at a distance. They watch on Facebook. They watch, sometimes they watch online. They're going to watch at a distance going, hmm, we'll see what happens here. And Elisha is standing with Elijah. And Elijah takes his jacket. Can I have that jacket, Pastor Ty? He takes his jacket, he takes his cloak, and he strikes the water. And when he does, the water was divided. Just close your eyes for a second. Imagine this. Water splits to the left and to the right. How incredible is that? They walk over on dry ground just for two people. I know God parted the Red Sea for a million Israelites to leave Egypt, and then he did it again at the Jordan River for Joshua. But how cool is it that God parted the river for just two guys? God was a personal God for Elijah. 
He was involved in his daily needs. God wants to be involved in your daily needs. So they cross over on dry ground, and watch what happens in verse 9. Elijah looks at Elisha, and he says, ask. Ask. Ask what? He says, ask. What may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? In other words, he said, whatever you need, whatever you are standing on, whatever you've been praying for, you've given me 10 years of serving And I know Elisha's like, yeah, I've done a lot over the I'm I'm about to ask for a list of things here. But he looks at him and he says, please give me a double portion of your spirit. I want a double portion of your spirit to be upon me. I want double the miracles, double the influence, double the impact, double the revival that you saw in your lifetime. I want that, but I want it times two. And Elijah looks at him and he says something interesting in the next verse. He says, you have asked for a hard thing. When did we stop asking God for the hard things? When did we stop asking God for the difficult things? We're willing to ask companies to give us grants of money. And yet we we serve the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We serve the creator of the cosmos. And God's going, I know you asked Quick Trip to help out with this thing at the Dream Center. I know you asked... Williams to help out with this thing at Victor Christian School. But why don't you ask me for a billion dollars so I can help fund the next thousand kids to go on missions so that I can help build the next thing for Victor Christian School so that I can help y'all build 20 more dream centers around the world and help you send out 100 pastors to plant churches all over the world and more Bible schools. I believe God is up in heaven and he is dreaming on another level than we are. I don't think God is a small, petty God going, don't you dare ask me for that. That's a little too much for me. I think God's up in heaven going, that? Yeah, I could do that. That's a small thing in the eyes of God. For Elijah goes, that's a hard thing. But God goes, it's not that hard if you can see it. If you have the audacity, legend has it there was a troop that served under Napoleon Bonaparte when Napoleon was conquering land all over the world. And he was visiting his troops in different parts of the world where he had conquered territory. And one troop stood up, grabbed Napoleon's hand, and he said, may I have the island of Malta? And the captain, who was in charge of those troops, slapped his hand. How dare you ask Napoleon for that? Napoleon said, granted, the island of Malta is yours. The captain said, why did you just give this young troop an entire island. And Napoleon said, because he had the audacity to ask me for it. He dared to believe that an island could be his. What if the church dared to believe that America could be ours? That the next generation does not belong to TikTok and Instagram and addictions and opioids. What if the church started asking for the hard things? He said, you've asked for a hard thing. I want the band to come out. He says, you've asked for a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see, those first three words in that sentence are really important. If you see. Those words I've underlined many times. Every time I get a new Bible, I go to this passage and I underline that part right there. If you see, it shall be. If you see when I'm taken from you, it shall be. If you see it, you can be it. If you see it, you can do it. 
Well, Paul, it doesn't just work like that. I don't think... Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9 to two blind men who were crying out for sight. Son of David, have mercy on us. Heal us. He said, what do you want? They said, we want to see. He said, if you can see it, you can do it. According to your faith, open your eyes. The message version says, become what you believe. If you believe that you can have vision out here, sometimes you have to close your eyes to see what God sees. Sometimes you're looking at situations and you go, this is how my kids are always going to be. And yet God's going, no, they're not. Start prophesying who they're going to be. You go, well, this is the way my husband's always been. This is the way my wife, this is the way America's get this, the, the, the economy. There's no way I can have that kind of a, a salary in this type of recession. Paul, I just, I got to get home to watch more news because that's what helps me sleep. You're losing sleep because you're watching so much news. And God's going, if you'd stay in church a little bit longer, if you'd read your Bible a little bit more, if you would linger on these scriptures just a little bit more, you would see what God sees. See it before you see it. Elijah looks at Elisha and says, it will be yours if you can see it. But if you can't see it, you won't have it. If you can't see it, it won't happen. In the next verse, it happened. Those first three words, then it happened happened. Something happened. His eyes were open. As they were walking and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, separating the two of them. Elijah's going up into the sky. And as he's going up into the sky, Elisha won't take his eyes off the future. You're going to miss your future if you're looking at your past. You're going to miss future friendships. You're going to miss future opportunities. You're going to miss the future of what God is trying to bring us into if you're obsessed over the past. And sometimes we're blinded, not so much by what we miss, but by what those old prophets were saying to Elisha. You can't. You, you won't be as good as him. You can't fill his shoes. His shoes are too big for you to fill. Just give up. Don't even try, Paul. If I listen to the naysayers, I'll be blinded by the future vision. But Elisha turns his back on every person who says he couldn't. He says, I don't have time to listen to the past. I'm obsessing over the future that God's calling me into. And as he's watching, suddenly this mantle is falling from the sky. And Louise catches it. Somebody say, catch it. Catch the vision, catch the vision, catch the vision, catch the vision. The vision becomes a reality. He takes the mantle. Look at this in verse 14. And he walks back to that same bank he stood on where his pastor, his teacher, Elijah, once had stood. And he stands at that same bank and he strikes the water. And he says, where is the God of Elijah? In other words, he was saying, he was saying, I know you did it for him, but if you did it for my teacher, can you do it for me? I know that this word works for Billy Graham. Where is the God of Billy Joe Darty? Where is the God of Smith Wigglesworth? Where is the God of Oral Roberts? Where is the God of Elijah? 
Elisha was saying, I know you did it for previous generations. I know you built amazing ministries and universities, and I know you parted the waters for my daddy, but God, I just want to know if it works for me the way that it worked for them. I just need to know if this word still works. I just need to know if this anointing is still alive and sharper than a two-edged sword. I just need to know if it can work on Monday the way, the way that it worked on Sunday for my pastor. I need to know if this word still works on Tuesday nights in my marriage, on Wednesdays with my children, on Thursdays when I'm tired at work, on Fridays when the doctor said I got cancer, on Saturdays when people tell me I'm not gonna make it, and the finances are too hard. I just need to know, where is the God of my previous generations? Elisha was saying, I know you did it back then. And I know you did it for him. I saw you do it for him. But he's gone now. And it's just me here. And I just need to know if, if you're with me the way you were with him. I just need to know if the same power and presence of God that rested on the last prophet can rest on me. And God proved it. When he had struck the water, it was divided this way and that way. It's like Elisha looked at it and was like, oh, it works. It works. He walks out on that dry ground. And when he crossed over that river, he crossed over into his future. He gets to the other side and those same prophets who were saying he can't, they looked at him and it says in verse 15, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. We can see it on them. It's there. And they came to him. God's going to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And then they looked at him and they said, look now. Send 50 of us to go and search for Elijah. Maybe God picked him up like an Uber ride and drove him somewhere. No, seriously. that's what They said, maybe God dropped him off in a valley somewhere or a mountain. Maybe he's still around. Maybe we can still find the past. They were searching for the past when the future was right in front of them. They were still obsessing over the past when the future was staring. They were looking for what was when what is was looking right in front of them. How many people are still looking for what was when God is looking and he says, I'm not the great I was, I'm the great I am. I'm not the past God, I'm the present God. I'm here, I'm now, I'm with you, I'm for you, and your future is knocking. Your future is knocking if you can see it before you see it. Last place we're gonna look at Elisha is 2 Kings 6. He's been doing miracles, amazing things have happened, and he's been informing the king of Israel every time enemies showed up to try to kill Israel or slaughter the people of Israel, Elisha always knew where they were going to be. And verse 12, these enemy kings were conspiring together, and they said, who's giving our plans away? Who's the mole in our, in, in our armies? And they said, there's no mole here. Elisha the prophet has inside information. He sees things before they happen. He's a prophet. He, can, he picks up on where we're going to be before we're even there. Somehow he just knows what's going to happen before it happens. Even when you whisper things in your bedroom, God tells them. Be careful what you say in your bedroom. Somehow God has a way of getting it back to people. So then the enemy kings, they go, we got to find this guy, Elisha. We're going to kill him right now. So they go searching for him. They find out where he is. In verse 14, they hide in the middle of the night. They camp around Elisha. And he's there by himself with the servant, with his, his intern. And there's no army with him. He's all by himself. They surround him. In the morning, in verse 15, his servant wakes up and goes, oh, my Lord. 
We're going to die. We're surrounded by enemy armies. I want you to see this real quick. Uh, Pastor Ty, will you stand right here and be Elisha? And I need some men to come and surround Pastor Ty. I need you to just, just block him in. Just get in front of him all around right here in the front. I want you to see what was he facing. And stand in front of him. Block his vision. We need a couple more men. We need, we need some extra guys. We need Pastor Ty to feel outnumbered. Because this is the case. All right. Only one more guy popped up. Can I get a couple more guys? Y'all are like, now he's going for the second row. I'm going to start going for the last row back there. I'm going to find a way to get everybody in an illustrated sermon here. All right. There we go. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Come on down. Come on down. Come on down. Come on down. Yeah. Surround him. Some of you are surrounded right now and you feel outnumbered by the financial lack in your life by the hurts you've endured from people close to you. And you just go, man, I just feel, I feel discouraged. My, my heart feels broken. I've just walked through so many hit after hit after hit, loss after loss after loss. And, and I, I, I'm not trying to have a pity party, but it's just not easy. I just feel outnumbered at times. This is where Elisha is at. This is why as a church, we do things during the week beyond just church service. We do things like discipleship class, restore class, because we know what you're up against needs more than just one service a week. You need community. You need specialized ministry to deal with some of the hurts you faced. You need sisters and brothers in Christ. You need a discipleship community. Take advantage of these things. You could sign up for these things today. But here Elisha's standing there and he's like my local church is not with me i'm all by myself he's standing there and this is where i think we've got to learn how do i look beyond what i see in the natural all i see is shame lack accusations manipulation intimidation regret hurts from close friends betrayal from family overwhelmed and fear and, and anxiety and panic attacks and insomnia. I haven't slept in weeks. I'm just, I'm being outnumbered by so many things trying to steal my joy, my future, my focus. I'm, I'm lucky that I'm still here, that I'm still breathing. But somewhere there, Elisha begins to muster up courage. And I think it comes through prayer, comes through worship, comes through the word of God, and it comes to remembering the community of faith. When you begin to pray, when you begin to worship, when you begin to remember the word of God, I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I'm more than a conqueror. Greater is he who lives in me than he that's in As God was with Moses and Joshua, he is with me. The same Lord that brought down Jericho and Goliath can take down the enemy armies that are staring me down. But you got to see it in here before you see it out there. Sometimes you got to close your eyes here so that you can open your eyes. So Elisha looks at his intern and he says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Pastor Ty, I want you to elevate your vision a little bit. The enemies are still there. But when you begin to pray and worship, and when you begin to get your mind fixed on the word of God, you begin to see a greater vision. God says there's more for you than those who are against you. And Elisha begins to pray, oh Lord, open the eyes of my friend so that he may see what I see, so that he may see what you see, God. 
We need to raise our vision to a heavenly point of view. All of a sudden, the, the friend opens his eyes and he sees and he looks on the hills. And the hills are full of horses and chariots of fire all around. The last time we saw a chariot of fire was in 2 Kings 2 with Elijah. I just wonder if Elijah was listening to that prayer too, saying, I'm with you, buddy. You're not alone. See, there's a great cloud of witnesses. I think my dad hears my prayers too at times. And I think there's a great cloud. Heaven is on its feet. Heaven is cheering you on. Stand to your feet all over this place. You are not alone, my friends. You are not outnumbered. That, that, those enemies might have looked big, but once Elisha caught the vision of heaven's armies, he realized those enemies don't stand a chance against my God. I want you to close your eyes all over this place. I want you to imagine all of heaven is surrounding you. They're cheering you on. Saints of old are praying for you. There's a great cloud of witnesses saying you're not alone. But you got to see it before you see it. God says your vision is a weapon against the enemy. Your ability to see beyond is a weapon against discouragement. It's a weapon against depression. It's a weapon against hopelessness. It's a weapon against just sitting around and complaining and feeling so negative about life. Because when you begin to see it before you see it, suddenly you have a prophetic revelation. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. Where there is no vision, people perish. But once you get the prophetic vision inside you, you can make it through anything. With Jesus, you can make it. Because you know there's light at the end of the tunnel. Things are going to turn around. God's going to work everything together for good for those who he has called and predestined. God's calling is on your life. You are adopted into his family. You are a child of God. And he says your best days are right in front of you. Band, I want you to just start playing. We're going to sing that chorus. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. If you're here today and you need to get that vision from heaven inside you, I want you to leave your seat. If you need to surrender at the altar today to invite the Lord into your vision, into what you see right now in your current round, I want you to leave your seat. If you need God to change your vision, if you need God to take down some of the, the blockers that have been holding you back from seeing what God wants you to see, seeing from a heavenly point of view, your life, other people's lives, your circumstance, your problem, Goliath, whatever giants you're facing, it's time to see what God sees. God sees the walls of Jericho falling down. God sees his provision showing up. God sees his protection surrounding you. It may look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by you. I'm surrounded by you, Lord. Whatever it is you need to surrender, bring it to the Lord today. If you need to get right with Jesus, come down to the altar today. If you need to ask Jesus in your heart, come and join us at the altar today. I'm surrounded by you, Lord. This is how I fight my battles. Through surrender, through prayer, through worship, 
through releasing my burdens to the Lord, through trusting in God and not my own strength, putting my hope in Him, allowing Him to heal my heart from wounds and hurts I've been holding on to. Lord, I fight in your strength, in your spirit, God, not in my own flesh. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. I know you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. He's working on it. He's working on it. He's working on it. He's working on it. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. And even when I don't see it, you work. And even when I don't feel it, you work. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. And even when I don't see it, you work. And even when I don't feel it, you work. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. And even when I don't see it, you working. And even when I don't feel it, you working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. See waymaker and waymaker, miracle work and promise. darkness my god that is who you are this past week my boys they were asking me if they could listen to some of my old music and they said daddy do you have any like preaching uh like preaching songs because i had shown them a, a stephen furtick preaching song and they said do you have any of those i said yeah he said how come you've never shown us i said i forgot i recorded that back in 2018 with timmy in the studio here. And they're like, can we listen to it? I said, yeah. So I looked up on Apple Music. I found it. It was called Spoken. That was the name of this nine-song album of me preaching with music. And the first song was called This Year I Will. And they're listening to it, and they were locked in. It's the first time they've been quiet in the car for a long time. And they said, let's listen to another one. The next one was Motion Activated Faith. And we go through Motion Act. The next one, Psalm 23. Each one, they were like, wow. They said, we need to listen to this every day. I said, really? They said, yeah, this is so awesome. Mac goes, I feel like I could do five backflips with this thing. And he said, I can see it. I can see it. Somebody say, I can see it. I said, Mac, I can see that too. 
He said, this word just stirs me, makes me want to move. And, but as I was preaching, I, I was listening to these words that I recorded five years ago, and I was like, wow. The word never returns void. I thought no one's listening to that anymore because people get new music every week. But they were listening to it. So I texted the guy that worked on it. I said, hey, you need to know that what you worked on five years ago is affecting my children today. And they, they see themselves walking out the prophetic words I was speaking in those songs. And they said, we need to listen to this every day. But I was thinking about how the word of God never returns void. I don't know. Someone may be in the room today that we may not get to talk to for a long time. You just never know when someone's last day in church might be. But I believe the word that was spoken today will not return void in your life. What I am confident in is that 10 years from now, maybe 20 years from now, someone will watch this on YouTube and that word of God's going to find you the way it found Elisha in the middle of a desert. That word of God's gonna show up at your house as an invitation towards the future that God has for you. And that future is calling you to see what God sees, to see that he is not done with your story. To see that even though you might have a bad past or even a rough present right now, God has a great future for you. God has a great future for you. God has a great future for you. Maybe your past has been great, but your future is going to be greater in Jesus' name. Lord, I just declare that over somebody today. God, that anyone who's just had a lot of uh, maybe just insecurity, self-doubt, self-inadequacy, anyone who's just been questioning whether you still have great plans for them, that Lord, today, as they were listening to this message, they would begin to believe that the same God who worked for Elijah and Elisha wants to work in them and through them and for your glory. God, I thank you, Lord, that the dreams and the prayers and, and the power that you want to release in our lives, God, for your glory would stir us, God, to walk a life of faith a life of obedience, to leave behind old habits and old ways that have been keeping us bound in fear and questioning constantly if we're good enough or if we're worthy enough or if you could use us. Lord, I pray that this word today would just be a seed in the soil of our soul, God, that would bear much fruit in years to come, that we wouldn't just see what you want to do in us, but we would see what you want to do in others around us. God, where we have cursed other people with our words or with our thoughts, where we have cursed ourselves with our words or thoughts, today we reverse that curse in Jesus' name. We rebuke it to go back to hell where it came from, and we speak a blessing over our future. We speak a blessing over the future of others. We bind every curse that's been spoken over our lives, every label and lid and limit and ceiling that's been placed over our future. We break it off today, and we say that we belong to you, God. And in, in you and through you and with you, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God, I thank you, Lord, that we would break every lie of the enemy that's been spoken over our lives or over the lives of others around us. God, that we would begin to walk out the prophetic revelation that we are the children of God, called by you, that we hear your voice, we follow you. And Lord, that your word that works on Sunday works on Monday too that it parts the water on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. This week, I pray that your word would be alive on the inside of us. Help us to find people that need hope this week. Help us to find people that need victory this week. Help us to get that word to them, to bring them into the future that you have for them. Just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm all yours. Thank you, Jesus, 
for seeing in me value, so much value that you gave your life for me. You died on the cross for me. So I repent of my sins. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for being my Lord, my Savior, my healer, my deliverer. With you, Jesus, my best days are right in front of me. And I have victory in my life because you live in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I pray that message ministered to you, encouraged you, and reminded you, you can have victory through Jesus. Listen, we got tons of messages just like this one and many more topics that I believe would speak life to you right on our Victory app. If you haven't downloaded the app, make sure you do it today. Also, hit subscribe on YouTube. If you haven't subscribed to our channel, messages are constantly coming up on here, different interviews I do with different pastors, worship music that we put on here. So make sure you hit subscribe or on our podcast. We're always uploading new seasons, new episodes from different messages, different interviews, as well as our Best Days series when my brother John and Arvin get together and just speak words of encouragement. So again, make sure you check out those three platforms, the app, the podcast, our YouTube channel. And if you haven't pre-ordered my book, Mind Games, go and do that today. You can find a link for that on our website at victory.com. It's a book all about winning mentally and emotionally the victory that God has for you to walk out. By the way, if you can win on the inside, you can win on the outside. Again, we love you so much. God bless you. You've got the victory.